0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter, joined, as always, by the goose to my maverick, Brandon.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hey, I I would rather be the goose, even though I die in the movie, as opposed to the Iceman.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, the new... Speaking of those movies, the new um, Top Gun movie, they keep delaying it and delaying it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, at this point... I'll be honest with you I didn't really have any desire to see it. Top Gun was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I yeah. wanted to be in the Air Force because of that movie. I went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs for a visit because I wanted to be in the Air Force and then I saw the guys oh. get all that and I quickly changed my mind.
0: Is that right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that movie it came out like when I was like I don't know 6 or 7 or something like that. So it was really huge.
0: I think when that movie came out if I if I recall that it a lot more kids like started applying to the air force Academy and getting an interest in the air force. After that, it was like, it's like a really good deal for them. You know,
1: it worked with, Hey, the karate kid got me into karate. Movies are very suggestive.
0: <laughs> and speaking of the ice man, I recommend that uh documentary about Val Kilmer.
1: Yeah. I've heard nothing not good about it.
0: It's really good. I mean, it's, it's very self-serving because he's kind of in charge of it. Um, He's telling his own story. But if you you bear that in mind, this isn't like a journalistic investigation into his life, you know? So he kind of, as anybody who'd write their own story, he kind of whitewashes, you know, parts of it. But man, it's really good. It's really good. He's such an intriguing, eccentric guy. And you can see why he really... You know, did that method acting thing and like got super into some of his characters.
1: Yeah, I so saw him on uh, the Cho show with David Cho. He's an artist, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he came up as very eccentric, like he said. So I'd be interested in seeing that documentary.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of eccentric, uh, my <laughs> my guest this week is a return guest. This maybe is this our this might be our first ever two time guest on the Reverend Hunter podcast. Chris asked us, no, he's not really eccentric. He's just a fantastic guy. He's a dear, dear friend. Listeners may remember that we had Chris on right when he had started hiking the Appalachian trail, uh, which is a trail that runs from Maine to Georgia. And he had been appointed by the United Methodist church as the chaplain to the Appalachian trail for the year 2021. He just completed his hike in January, having started the previous May. And so he and I sat down and we had an extended conversation about everything from the logistics of a hike of that length, um, you know, everything from the, the physical maladies that he struggled with to the people he met to the choices he made along the way. Plus, of course, he was the chaplain. So uh, we got into the spirituality of the hike and uh, the conversations that he had with people. And then finally, at the very end, how it changed him, what it did to him. And um, he and I have had a lot of offline conversation. So I do know that the trip, the hike, had quite quite the effect on him and his, his life. And Brandon, this is, uh, you know, I'm going to, it's a, It's a longer conversation. People have probably already noticed that because they've seen it, the, you know, the time code in their app, in their podcast app that it's well over an hour. And so I'm going to this is kind of an inauguration of trying something a little bit new, a little bit different. We did it in January. Here we're doing it again in February of 2022, and that is to have longer, more in-depth conversations with my guests. And maybe release them less often. So as opposed to an hour-long podcast every other week, we're going to experiment for the next few months doing conversations that are more like 75 to 90 minutes. They only come out once a month, but they give us the opportunity to go a little bit deeper into the conversation. I've just had some times where right where I felt like the conversation I was having with a guest was getting kind of getting deep and we're kind of getting through some barriers and and stuff then it's time to go. Um so we're going to experiment with this. I'm not going to go all, you know, 4-hour Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson. Uh <laughs> good cuz I
1: don't I do you're, not want to I do not want to <laughs> edit that either.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. And I get some guys can do podcasts of that length. That's not me. But we'll try this. I'd love to hear from listeners what you think. Um of the different format. It's just an experiment. Um, and, and I know you, you know, with a a podcast episode of this length, you might not listen to the whole thing all in one sitting, which is totally fine and understandable, but yeah, let me know, drop me a line if you like it. Uh, and also I've got a list of guests. I've got a, a Google doc. I keep, if you've got ideas for guests Please shoot them to me. Many listeners have sent me ideas. I add those people to the list, and then um, you know when the time is right, I reach out to those people and and try to get them on the show. So love that. Love the support as always. Subscribe, rate, review, share with a friend, and uh, if you're interested in in sponsorship, drop us a line as well. So I guess that's it, Brandon. Unless you got any. Broader Talk North announcements for us.
1: There's no huge Broader Talk North announcements at the moment, Tony. Okay, well. Just this. This is big news. We're going into a longer format. (laughs) This is huge. We should uh, be blowing horns in celebration.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll we'll try it out. See what people think. And, uh, yeah, just remember that we are part of the Talk North podcast family, and there's a lot of other great podcasts on sports and hunting and lifestyle and stuff like that. So check those out. Well, thanks for listening. And here is my follow-up conversation post-through hike with Chris Estes, a.k.a. Bonespur, the Chapalachian. Happy birthday, Chapalachian.
2: Well, thank you, Tony. Yes, it is. Chapalachian to you.
0: No, no, I'm a Yankee, remember?
2: Well, that's true. Yeah.
0: Wasn't it? Isn't it Chapalachian up north and Chapalachian in the south?
2: Yeah, we determined that at the Mason-Dixon line, where I actually stood on one side and said, Appalachian Trail, and then I moved to the south side of it and said, Appalachian Trail. <laughs> but I stuck with Appalachian most of the time. Does
0: it sound better? It sounds more like Chaplin, I guess.
2: It's well. I work with Chapalachian. Yeah, that worked. That worked better than Chapalachian. And uh, unbelievably, I grew up next to a town named Appalachian, New York. Really, it's spelled the same way, I believe, but that's how it's pronounced, Appalachian. So there's people that say Appalachian trails, trail, then that's just a very select group of people from upstate New York. Um, there's people that say Appalachian. Really, Those are my friends from Long Island and parts of New Jersey. They say Appalachian. Then there's Appalachian, Appalachian, and then Appalachian, <laughs> which I believe is the right way to say it. Okay. Appalachian. Yeah.
0: Man, what an epic journey you have been on! It's it's just incredible. You and I stayed in close touch for much of it. Um, I just can't even. It's hard to even compute for me how long it's been, how far you went, the experiences you had. Um just remind us when you started, when you finished uh wh- what how what a flip flop is. Just give us some, remind us some of the the kind of the bones of the bone spurs trip.
2: All righty. <clears throat> the Appalachian Trail. It's a 2193.1 mile continuous footpath from Georgia to Maine or Maine to Georgia, depends on your orientation. People who go it goes through 14 states. I'll name them (laughs) South to North. Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. People generally do it, and the vast majority of people do it, Nobo, or northbound, where they start at Springer Mountain, Georgia, sometime in February or March generally, and they continue north to Katahdin Mountain, Maine. Uh, It's actually Baxter Peak, but it's called Katahdin, in Baxter uh, State Park in Maine. Uh, And that usually takes around six months. Now, some people do it southbound or Sobo, where they start later, generally late June, early July, sometimes a little later, and uh, at Katahdin, and they go south to Springer Mountain, Georgia. Now, some people do what's called a flip-flop, where somewhere in between you start and you go one direction or the other, and then you go back to where you began, and then you go the other way. A Bospor of the Chapalachian being a different kind of guy, uh, decided to do what's called a flip-flop-and-fly. And I made that up. And there were some reasons for that. I had to, I had there was something I had to do at home in May. Uh, in fact, I had to go to licensed local pastor school for the United Methodist Church to become the Reverend Chris Estes, which I am now, uh, a licensed local pastor assigned to Alamo Heights United Methodist Church as the recovery pastor, or the pastor of recovery ministries. Uh, I had to do that in mid-May. So... I figured it would be good for me to get some miles in before that time. So I went to Harpers Ferry, West Virginia in late March, March 26th, I believe. And I did Maryland, which was 40 miles. Then I flew home. And then in late April, I flew up and I started at, uh, I I did the state of New Jersey. I started at Delaware Water Gap, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And I went to Warwick, New York. And that was a hundred and about a hundred miles of New Jersey. And then I flew home and then I did my licensed local pastor school. And then I returned uh, to the East on May the 22nd. And I started at Penmar Park on the Maryland, Pennsylvania line went North did the state of Pennsylvania flipped up, did Warwick, New York up to Maine. Then on October 15th, I started in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia again. And I went South and that took me uh, three months. And I I completed it on January the 15th. But there was a little flipping and flopping that went on um, in the south as well. I, at one point in Tennessee, I decided to, to go further south and do the Smokies before it started snowing. Because it was late. It was December. And I wanted to get that out of the way. So I, I got that out of the way. And then I went all the way south to Georgia. But then I had to flip back up and do the 113 miles I finished. And I finished on January the 15th with a 25-mile day at uh, Watauga Lake, Tennessee, right before uh, winter storm Izzy hit uh, two weeks ago. You might remember that. Stood snowed 18 inches that night. And I, I missed it by four hours, fortunately.
0: So remind us, okay, you, end, you you completed it on January 15, and you started on what date?
2: Uh, I'm saying unofficially May 22nd, but I had already done – about a week and a half before that. So I started...
0: So early May through...
2: Well, I mean, I started March, late March for four days and then late April for five days and then for good on May the 22nd.
0: How many days of hiking and how many days of resting in that (laughs) stretch?
2: Well, it's hard to say. I have not put a pencil to that one. Um, Again, I did a little... I did it quite differently because I was the Chapalachian, meaning and what that means was I was assigned by the Holston Conference of the United Methodist Church to be uh, the through hiker chaplain on the trail. And each year for the last nine years, I was the ninth chaplain, Uh the, the Holston Conference sends somebody out and supports them uh, prayerfully and financially uh, to some extent uh, to be a light in love on the trail. A listening, loving, non-reactive presence on the trail, and so I was the guy this year. And uh, so what that meant for me, and I decided that what I was going to do was talk to every single person I came across, which I did. I talked to every single person I came across, Whoa. and so that took me a long time.
0: Well, how 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 would that slow you down? Because because ev- they might be going the opposite direction as you.
2: Oh yeah, and and so you know frequently that's the way it was. And so you stop and talk to them. What if hi, they don't
0: want you? to stop and talk?
2: Uh, most do. <laughs> most do. And, uh, you know, hi, what's your name? Tony. Hi, Tony. Uh, what's your trail name? Oh, Pheasant Killer. Hi, Pheasant Killer. everybody got a trail name,
0: of okay, course. Okay.
2: And, uh, and hi, I'm Bonespur, the Chapalachian. And that would usually. Uh, and they'd say, initiate.
0: what's a Chapalachian?
2: Exactly. That would usually initiate some sort of conversation and uh
0: how how many a, how many people do you think that was that you spoke with i mean is it in the dozens is it in the hundreds
2: over a thousand over a thousand
0: over a thousand.
2: Oh yeah easy, easy. i talked to i mean i was up probably out there what 200 days and uh oh i easily talked to you know like two thousand, probably 10 people a day wow easily. wow you know between the trail and town and shelters and Campsites, yeah, hostels, yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, I easily,
0: yeah. I definitely. mean, I want to, I want to get into the deeper meaning and what you learn, but I'm still really fascinated by some of the logistics. So, if you don't mind spending, you know, talking a little bit more about that one, Thanks. one question I have is: Why does it stop in Georgia? Why doesn't it go all the way to the tip of Florida? Wouldn't that be a little more, you know, like I'm it. It just seems to me like, oh, it starts at the Canadian border, basically, wouldn't it? When we
2: ask, when we ask why questions of God, (laughs) we usually don't get very good answers, do we? No, it's true. I have no earthly idea. There is an internet. There, some people do what's called the. There's an international AT that continues up to Canada, I believe, and then there's something called the Great Eastern something, where people actually do. I met some people that do this. A guy named Hambone, I think. He did the Florida Trail. He started in Key West did, and then did the Florida Trail. Okay. And then then there's some trail in Alabama you hook into, um, the Benton Mackay, I think. And then it hooks into Springer. and then Okay. And
0: so it hook. is possible, but it's yeah. just not considered the Appalachian Trail.
2: Yeah. The way it was set up uh, in the 30s or 40s. Yeah. And it's changed over the years. It's changed based on where they've acquired right away and where they've acquired uh land and um yeah you know, and it's a it's a it's a big uh coalition of uh agencies and locals and there's hiking clubs uh local hiking clubs and states and national parks and national forests and state parks uh, it's a big Is, coalition. is it, are
0: you mainly on public land or are you also walking through some private land?
2: Yes I'm not the expert on all this, but it's mostly public. Public. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So mostly. as you're hiking along, are you, um, are you hiking six days out of seven? Are you hiking hiking five days out of seven? Most
2: people will hike six days out of seven thereabouts and, and take a zero day and you might do short days. Um, again, I did it a little differently and we'll, we'll get into that some more, but, uh, you know, most people try to get to town every three days or so. That way you can pick up a resupply box. That way you can do your laundry. That way maybe you can sleep at a hostel. Um, so people, people do that. You don't want to stay out there for too long because, you know, to carry five days of food is pretty heavy. Yeah. Now, there's some places where you absolutely have to do that. Um, but what's beautiful about this trail is that you don't. This trail, for the most part, this trail goes through towns. That's what's the beauty of it. This trail is social. And that was what really surprised me more than anything was the social ability of this of this trail, the way you connect with locals, the way you connect with locals in, a, in rural Eastern America, which is uh, different than other parts of Eastern America, don't you know?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, and it's also different than the West. I had experience in, in Colorado. I've done the Colorado Trail. And, uh, which is very remote, and you go through some towns, but it's sporadic, and the social atmosphere and the, the social the connection is, is just not there like it is on the 18. So, and, and when I say what I did was different, it, it, you know, it's quite different. There's white blazes on the trees uh, along the Appalachian Trail. That way, you can make sure you're on the trail itself. It's they're about a foot long, six, four or five inches wide.
0: And how often? It's-
2: white paint i think it's like three or four per mile maybe. oh
0: okay so it's really regular
2: yeah it's, yeah it's regular it's regular and then it, at uh at crossings places where you might get confused and there's also an app on the phone which is called far out guides it used to be called gut hook which is really really terrific you it's gps and it's uh it's every trail in the world, practically, and it's really, really helpful. It tells you water sources, tells you, gives you phone numbers for shuttle drivers. You know, it has GPS to make sure you're on the trail. Uh, elevation profile is very, very helpful. When you're on the trail and there's white blazes, so you follow the white blaze. When in doubt, follow the white blaze. Now, what I did is considered a platinum blaze. And um, there's a couple different blazes. In fact, blue blaze are alternatives. Like if there's a blue blaze that takes you to a water source or a blue blaze that takes you around a peak that might be like really exposed in bad weather. And you might take that during bad weather, a blue blaze. Okay. Then there's something called yellow blazing, which means you cheat. Somebody drives you 20 miles from one place to another and you're cheating. That's called yellow blazing. Um, uh,
0: then there's pink because blazing. You're, because you're skipping, you're, you're, you actually aren't doing part of the trail. You're skipping that's right. part and
2: of it. Okay. And that's a derogatory term. Yeah, yellow,
0: yellow blaze, one, yellow okay.
2: One. Then there's pink blazing, where you either slow down or speed up to come across somebody of the opposite sex that you're interested in. Ah, pink pink blazing, okay yes. Then brown blazing, where you have to run off into the woods for one reason or another. Okay. Then there's platinum blazing. And that's what I did. I, about the middle of Vermont, I decided that I was done hurting myself out here. I was done trying to be a hero camping all the time. And I was going to take advantages, advantage of the many, many, many opportunities there are to stay in hostels along the way or motels or lodges. And, uh, and so I resolved to do that as often as I could from that point forward, okay. which I did.
0: Because because prior to that, how were you hurting yourself? I know you had fallen a couple times.
2: I fell many times. Yes, many times. The, the big fall was this. It was funny. It was the day after I interviewed with you uh, for the last podcast, uh-huh. and I was walking in Pennsylvania, which is very rocky and <laughs> known for that, and I'm... I'm Looking at myself in my phone as I'm walking, recording myself, telling me what, a, telling everybody what a great job I did in the interview with Tony the night before, <laughs> and right at that moment I tripped, and you see the phone fly through the air, you hear me yell and hit the ground, and the phone lands underneath uh, the camera, and the phone a- land underneath some ferns, and so now you see it pointed up to the ferns, and you hear me for about three minutes uh, writhing in pain. Oh, oh, on the ground. And then uh, using language, unbecoming a Christian gentleman, uh, which I had to edit out of the videos. And uh, so I'm there three or four minutes because I was in pain and I I ended up having to get x-rays on my, my ribs. Uh, I thought I broke them, but they weren't. But I I think I did break my finger, my ring finger. I still can't get my ring on my wedding ring and and it's swollen all these months later. Um, Yeah, that was a bad fall. Yeah, and then I, you hear me rustling on the video. You hear me rustling around and pick up the phone, and I look at the phone and say, gee, that was rather unpleasant, <laughs> <laughs> as it was. But, yeah, I fell many times. I probably fell an average of once a day. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, but uh, what was your question?
0: Well, <clears throat> and before, you, before you made the platinum decision, oh, that, yeah. you said you were hurting yourself. And also, yeah, uh, also oh. I'm guessing – I mean, I've done plenty of outdoor camping, some of it with you. You just don't sleep that well when you're outside.
2: No, you don't sleep that well. Um, You don't eat as well. Uh, It's just, you're dirty. It's just, it's not comfortable. It's not that bad. Some some people love to camp, okay? There's some people that'll go out and just set up camp for a weekend and just start a fire and do camp chores and eat a lot of bad carbohydrates. You know, there's people that'll do that. Um, There's other people that'll, you know, bring their motor homes. There's other people that'll backpack where they'll go out for three days, do six miles a day, set up camp, you know, and just enjoy that. Then there's some people that like to through hike. And that's me. That's what I like to do. I like to have a big objective. I like to go hike the long distances and, The camping is just a necessary evil. I don't particularly enjoy that sitting around camp. That's not my idea of a great time. And and truth be told, for doing the ministry the way I do it, camp wasn't the ideal place for that anyway. Because when people are there, other chaplains might disagree. Other chaplains actually did good work in the shelters at the campsites, but but um, you know they had other focuses and other functions. One guy he, he would go collect firewood and he would start a fire and start a conversation around the fire uh what i found for the most part the people when they're at the shelter at their campsite they want to eat dinner they want they want to set up they want to eat dinner and they want to go to sleep you know they they don't want to talk
0: that much they don't want to hook up um, with uh with other hikers
2: and that outside <laughs> not like, that's, that's smelly you know it's not real
0: no i know that's i agree it's
2: but but yeah and so but what i ended up doing and you could do this. There's people that have done this. Uh, I ended up uh, staying in hostels, like a lot. And then when you stay in hostels, that gives you the opportunity to slack pack. And what that means is you don't have to carry your big pack with all your stuff all the time. So you stay in a hostel. You wake up, and there's either shut- either they do shuttles from the hostel, or there's shuttle drivers in every town where. They'll take you say fifteen miles past the hostel, and then you hike back to the hostel, okay. and that way you don't have to carry all your stuff because you just stay in the hostel again, or you can do several days of that. I mean, at one point went to Glasgow, Virginia, and before I got there, uh, Charlie, the guy there at Stanimals, the, uh, the hostel there, he had laid out six six days for me, six days that I could stay there and slack pack through southern Virginia, and uh, so that was fantastic.
0: So- do these guys have other jobs, these shuttle drivers, or is this their gig or is this a retirement gig, or what
2: Some are retired gigs some guys some are uh former through hikers that just wanted to maintain the lifestyle and kind of live a more simple lifestyle in these small towns and that's what they do is they shuttle uh and some you know they'll yeah they'll have part time jobs
0: um do, and how much how much you pay a guy to shuttle you somewhere?
2: Anywhere from twenty to fifty, depending on how far it is. the The rate goes from a dollar to two dollars a mile. Generally. So,
0: it's not cheap to platinum hike.
2: No, it's not cheap to platinum blaze. Yeah, there's a book about platinum it too blazing. called "Platinum Blazing the Appalachian Trail."
0: Are you serious? It, there's actually a book oh. about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not exactly a how-to, but it tells you all the best places, all the best hostels, all the best restaurants, which has the best cheesecake, which has the best hamburger. What best town food in general? Best bar, best brew pub, best hotel, wow. all that. And uh you know what? I can confirm a lot of what they have.
0: <laughs> so the Appalachian Trail, it's really very different than my experience of like hiking in the Boundary Waters because you, you've always got cell phone signal, right? Almost. Can you hear traffic on nearby Sometimes. on nearby Sometimes. roads? Sometimes.
2: Sometimes, sometimes, not real frequently, but sometimes. Okay, when they're
0: when they're when one of these shuttle drivers is driving you, are they? They're dropping you off. How far are you from the trail when they drop you usually, off? Right at the trailhead, usually. Right on the trail. Okay.
2: Yeah, right on the trail, and and but sometimes they have to take logging roads to get there, and sometimes they have to take dirt roads or gravel roads, uh, and sometimes it's a paved road. For instance, through the Shenandoah National Park, I mean, it's a paved road. Uh, the whole way um, but but in Maine for instance in the hundred mile wilderness I mean it's logging roads that that they have special permission to certain people yeah. to to go in and out of there
0: um okay and there's places you can't do
2: it at all uh, the white mountains of New Hampshire for instance and uh, which is all above tree line and I mean it's gorgeous it's unbelievable but uh what happens there is uh, and this is something I'm blessed that and very grateful that I c- could pull off is uh, there's a system of huts there, Appalachian mountain club huts, which are like lodges above tree line across the whites. And you may have heard of Mount Washington for yeah, instance, of course. which is the yeah. highest point in that part of the world, with the world's worst weather. Well, that that's there. There's a hut down below that
0: yeah.
2: called the Lake of the clouds. And uh, there's, there's, I think there's nine huts, eight or nine huts. I think my
0: college, my alma mater, um, there's one on Mount Musalak that my, isn't that on the AT that my alma mater maintains? Yeah, Musalak
2: is on the, Musalak is on the AT for sure. And that's before the whites. And uh, that would make sense. I I, I did not know that they don't, don't, I'm not sure that it's an AMC lodge, but but these are Appalachian Mountain Club lodges. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, I think Dartmouth. They maintain their own lodge at Moose Lock, yeah. And then you walk through my alma mater.
2: Yeah, I sure did. I walked through it, and uh, well, I want to tell you about the huts first. Yeah, of tell all. me about the, huts. Tell, okay. tell you about the huts. The huts are spaced like every seven or eight miles apart, okay. And uh, and the whites are really hard. I mean, it's a rock climb every single day, and a lot of vertical ascent and descent, and very difficult. Some hand over hand, and uh, and the weather is really tricky, and it can get really awful really fast. I mean, it can snow and August, and uh, before I got to the Whites, I had friends that I had met along the way, and and I knew, and that's a great thing about this trail. Also, you make these great friendships, and then they continue throughout the trail. and And these couple guys, they were they went out ahead of me, and they were faster than I was. And uh, they texted back and said, "Bone spur the Chaparralton, you need to do the Huts." So I did. I made reservations for all the huts. So I went hut to hut to hut to hut to lodge to hut to hut, to hut to hut to hut to lodge to hut. I think that's the way that went. And, I mean, it was fantastic. They they serve you dinner and breakfast. What? Yeah, dinner and breakfast. They, they helicopter in all this stuff like once or twice a year. And then every day, these college kids or whoever they are that work there, carry the stuff up from down below, oh you know, goodness. three, four-mile hike with 80 to 100-pound um, burdens on them, wooden packs. From How many people stay
0: in one of these huts?
2: Um, it, it depends. It, it's, the capacity is like between 20 and 90, I think, 90 at Lake of the Clouds and 20 at one of the smaller ones, so uh, but be, between those two things. The very first one I stayed at, there were only four of us there, though. That was wonderful, hmm. uh, and, a crew, and a crew of five, so that was nice, but that was very unusual. Um, Lake of the Clouds is always packed. Uh, with ninety people, most of them were pretty well full, and uh, you sleep in bunks. What's that cost?
0: Uh, that one of those? Well, spots. it's one
2: hundred and forty or so a night wow. if you're just doing it once. And I got a discount for uh, joining the AMC for fifty dollars, and then another discount for staying at more than five. So I think it was eighty five dollars a night oh, okay. thereabouts. So well, well worth it, yeah. and. uh, you know, these guys that advised me to do that, they, they knew what they were talking about and they, they knew me too. I, I was hiking with them in uh, uh, Connecticut, a guy named Mogul and his friend, Jeff. Now, Jeff was a, uh, retired 30 year full bird Colonel from the Marine Corps, but multiple tours of duty overseas. Wow. And, uh, they were doing 19, 20 miles a day. And the days I was hiking with them, you know, we we're doing 19, 20 miles a day. And, uh, Jeff was right behind me as we hiked. I remember one day it was hot and we're climbing this mountain just right behind me. And I stopped to take a drink of water. And Jeff said, both for the chapalachian. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking a sip of water. He said, we've already done that. Keep moving.
1: Oh
0: my gosh.
2: <laughs> so anyhow, so they knew I wasn't going to be able to keep that pace. And uh, so they, I, they I, I'm just forever in gratitude that they did that. Yeah. And uh, what I'm also happy about is this, is that on Moosalock, um, I climbed Moosalock with, uh, with a friend, and uh, her name's somewhere, and uh, she was afraid of doing the whites. And so, and I wasn't real thrilled about going on by myself anyway, because, you know, I'm a connection guy, and I was getting, by myself, I don't do real well. And so I told her about the huts, and then she decided she wanted to do the huts too. So she did the huts. Also, and then she did all the way uh, through Katahdin with me as well. So I had a hiking partner for the end part, and uh, w- which was really important for me. Mm. Uh, there were several occasions on the trail where I had trail families and I or I had just individuals that were with me, and those were my best times. Uh-huh. Then I had other times when I was solo, and those were my worst depressed times, wow. for sure. Wow. And uh, so, yeah.
0: Um how was it walking through Hanover, New Hampshire?
2: That was awesome because I'd been there many years ago. I had a friend that went to college there, so I was familiar with it. But the best thing was I got to have lunch with your son, Tanner. Yep. And, uh, who just blew me away, man. He was personable, he was articulate, <laughs> intelligent, funny, and, uh, Just, we had a great lunch. It was really, really, really terrific. So I enjoyed that. That was a highlight of that part of New Hampshire for sure. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, he's a good kid. Uh, What? Okay, did you, I I kept thinking about the logistics of this. You must have had like a, did you have like a mobile cell phone charger to keep your phone juiced up all day?
2: Yeah, I have a 20,000 m whatever the, Whatever it is, M R H S. Uh huh.
0: How heavy is that
2: anchor? It's an anchor. I think it weighs a pound. Okay, I'm holding it, showing it to you. So right that's now. just yeah.
0: a that's just a choice you made. So because you wanted to have
2: them. everybody uses these. Okay, and battery uh, okay. chargers. It's about the size of, of a large iPhone. That one, and then well, I had a smaller one. Also I mean,
0: it's smaller. interesting too because I often do trips, hiking or canoeing trips to to dis to disconnect. To disconnect and be, uh, I want to be out of range. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But that's yes. it, that this is just a different kind of, of experience than that.
2: Some people do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, quite a few people do that. I mean, the people that camp most of the time, a lot of them uh, weren't as connected as me. Uh-huh. Uh, I wouldn't say I was that connected with the world. Um uh, I had it because I was videoing and taking photos when I was putting out YouTubes right, right. every day. Yeah, And uh, so, I mean, that's that's why I did but it. But
0: you're also using it on a daily basis to communicate with shuttle drivers, make reservations at hostels, stuff like that. Oh, yeah,
2: making, making sure I'm on the trail. Yeah, yeah. Making the plan for the day, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and everybody uses their phone for that, for sure. Nobody's out there with maps. You know, nobody nobody does. Or companies. Is that Nobody's right?
0: Nobody does that? Nobody.
2: Nobody's doing that, and so yeah. So I needed it for that case. Now I have my own business. I'm in the outdoor advertising business, and I have been for 38 years. And uh, in the past, when I've done uh, outdoor adventures, you know, and I'm a, I you know I run the company. I do everything. It's one man show. And in the past, I had to keep doing that. Yeah. On my phone, and uh, which was always a source of a lot of difficulty. Then when I did the, started doing the Colorado Trail, I I got an InReach, which is a satellite communicator, which even if you don't have cell phone service, which is the case uh, in Colorado a lot, but and was also the case in the Boundary Waters when I was with, yeah. with you, and it's a it, the case just a little bit, um, particularly like in Maine and New Hampshire a little bit, is the uh, the case there is where there's no cell phone service, so there I could do texts, and so in the past I would communicate with clients or whoever I needed to through that thing or through the cell phone. Now something happened to me on this trip, which was, uh, really life, life giving. And what it was, I was sitting on a rock in Connecticut, having lunch overlooking this little gully. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my phone and there were a number of emails on the phone. And I thought to myself, not only do I not have to, to, uh, deal with these I don't even have to read them because somebody was running my business for me back here somebody with 25 years experience in my industry showed up and was available to do it I didn't even have to read the emails Mm. but I said this is freedom it was the first time in 38 years I remember one time I was in Australia at the Great Barrier Reef at this place the Kawari Beach Resort and uh, I'm I'm under this tiki hut. Was, that's the lobby. It's a grass tiki hut. Is the lobby of this thing? And I'm sitting there. And this is early internet, you know, 2004. I'm I'm sticking coins, Australian coins, into an internet machine so I can do some billboard deal in San Antonio. Wow. I mean, think about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, here I am now on this thing, and I don't even have to read my emails. So I, I didn't have to do anything workwise for. Eight months. Hmm. And you know what's even better? (laughs) What's that? I didn't watch the news for eight months.
0: Now that, I mean, it was available to you. The news was available to you just opening Safari on your phone. So that Mm -hmm. must have taken some amount of self-discipline just to say, nope, I'm not going to open up a news site. I'm not going to check out what's going on in the world.
2: I think the Lord shielded my eye gate, Tony. I didn't see any of that. Yeah. He shielded my eye gate and my ear gate from all that. Yeah. I It, it really wasn't hard. Huh. But I barely watched TV uh, ever, even in the hostels. Watch a little Netflix. You know, I didn't know what Netflix was until I went on this. Trip, what? Or not. I didn't even know what Netflix was. I didn't. But I watched The Crown and I watched uh, great all this, this great series um, called Midnight Diner. Okay. It happens in Japan. This little diner in the CD part of Japan, yeah. and it's, it's subtitles. Like they speak Japanese, and it's subtitles. Really, really little vignettes. It's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I watched a little bit of Netflix. Uh, I didn't watch the NBA finals, which is unbelievable because I'm such a basketball guy. Um, hmm. Yeah. No, no news.
0: No news. What did it, you're in your sixties? Mm-hmm. I won't reveal your, even though it's your birthday. 61 today. 61
2: today. Yes. 61
0: today. hmm What kind of a toll did it take on a 60-year-old body to hike for, you know, 200 days?
2: I got stronger. I got stronger. Much. I lost a bunch of weight. Uh, you know, I was overweight when I started, and I hiked myself into shape. Uh, I started at 230, All okay? right, That was my weight. Okay. And uh, I got down to 185 by the time I was in um, in Monson, Maine. I gained some back. I gained about 10 back. So I'm 195. So I got in much better shape. Um, I have a bone spur in my foot, my right foot on my toe that was supposed to be removed. But then the last year's winter vortex came. Uh, Polar Express came to Texas and turned off all the electricity for a week and shut down the surgery center. So I ended up not having the surgery. But so I hiked with a bone spur. That got a little bit worse, but not bad. What's the pain? Um,
0: What's the pain like in a when you have a bone spur in your toe? Is it like it, it, uh, every step, or is it at the? Yeah, okay.
2: It's chronic, and then yeah, every step, and then it really hurt the three hundred times I stubbed my toe.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: so that would hurt, but, uh, um, but it would hurt, you know, in the morning more, of course, and then I would say, oh, my bone spur hurts. Oh, that's all right. You know, my hips will hurt in 10 minutes and then my head will hurt 10 minutes after that. And then my elbow and, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. it's, it's part of it, but no, it did not take a toll. Uh, that, that hurt pretty consistently and it didn't really get that worse, much worse. Uh, my trapezius muscle on my left side, um, that, that still bothers me to this day. And it doesn't matter if I'm carrying a lot of weight or not. It's, it's something called hiker neck where you just, you stick your head out. That's mm-hmm. like holding a 15 pound bowling ball out with both arms. You know, that's the kind of pressure it's putting on there. So that, that hurts pretty consistently. But other than that, I got a lot stronger. Now, what happens to guys a lot out there is the guys turn into Auschwitz victims by the end. They have no upper body. They're skinny as heck. They might have strong legs. but that, and, and the women turn into goddesses. I, I'm here to tell you, goddesses. By the end of it, unbelievable. They're in just wonderful physical condition. And uh, But the guys... Uh, You know, and they have these scraggly beards and, you know, really look like crap. And usually by then they're wearing some ripped polyester Hawaiian shirt that looks like crap. And they've got holes in their shorts and they smell really bad. And so that's what happens to the guys. And a lot of that is a function of diet. Mm -hmm. Because I watch these guys out there, you know, and this hiker diet that they eat, you know, and they think they're supposed to be eating Skittles for every meal because it gives them energy and, you know, ramen. and I mean, It's straight carbs.
0: They're eating straight carbs.
2: Yeah, it's but it's like empty, you know. Yeah. And man, I sure didn't eat that way at all. Even when I was out camping a lot in the first part of it, uh, you know, I mean I ate ketogenic paleo freeze dried meals, which I'm gonna can I mention the, yeah. the brands? Yeah. Yeah. Next mile meals and, next mile meals and uh packet gourmet. Fantastic. What uh Tuscan beef stew with polenta. Huh. Yeah. That's not ramen with a tuna packet. No, no. Um, so I, I ate well. They don't eat enough protein out there for sure, and so that's why they lose all their musculature yeah. uh, on the top half of the body. But something happens with the women. I'm telling you, um, they just turn into just you know, it just turns into muscle. It's just beautiful. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. Um, tell us about your boots. Boots.
2: Who wears boots?
0: Boots. What do you wear?
2: Boots is that's for northern people, you know, going. Yeah,
0: we wear hiking you know, boots when we hike.
2: It's pheasant hunting or something. No, no, no. We wear trail runners.
0: Okay. Oh, trail, trail, runners. trail runners.
2: Yeah, I wear Ultra Lone Peak fives, and is uh, that
0: the brand? Ultra Long Peak.
2: Ultra A L T R A Lone Peak Five. You know, and think every six months or year they you know it's four, three point five, four, four point five, five. Yeah, Ultra Lone Peak fives, and. Um, that, that's that's what I ended up wearing at the end, particularly. What do you um, mean at
0: the end? Did you have more than one pair with you, or how many pairs did you oh, go? Yeah, through?
2: yeah, they burn out every three, four hundred miles. You kill them. Which
0: is what? Two weeks every every month? No,
2: no, 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 no. You do eighty to, you know, if you're really maxing out, you're doing hundred miles a week. So um, so every,
0: yeah. every every I, I probably went through
2: seven pairs of shoes, but. Um, yeah, probably seven. Prices. Where do you,
0: okay, you, uh, let's just talk about the logistic of the, of the shoes, all right? So you're you're in your shoes, you're 100 miles in, you look down and say, I think I got 100 miles left of these shoes, and you go online and order a pair, and they're waiting for you at a hostel down the road?
2: You didn't have to ask me a question. You already had the answer. Was that
0: right? Is that how it, I was just guessing.
2: Yeah, that's one way, Yeah. And then there's outfitters in a lot of these towns oh, okay. as well. I mean, they're trail towns. And so, uh, and I tended to, to, to try to do that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, because you want to support the local economies. However, uh, the world being the way the world is now, eh, eh, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, there might be a little supply chain problem yeah. getting to yeah. Manchester center of Vermont you know and they might be a little short on inventory uh for some reason also uh every place particularly in the northeast was short on employees oh. and help these restaurants were closed yeah. particularly in the northeast in Vermont you could make 45,000 dollars a year not working not working
0: okay we're not gonna get political now buddy <laughs> I'm telling you the truth <laughs> all right Uh, are there other fit, you know, I know like marathon runners have to put band-aids over their nipples because they get bloody from, are there, are there other weird, like chafing or hemorrhoids or anything that, you know, you got to put Vaseline in your armpits or something that is, you had not, that you had not expected.
2: Well, the foot, foot thing is particularly early in hikes, um, is a big thing because you're getting blisters. You know, yeah, and uh you know, trail runners sort of eliminate that for the most part, but everybody gets some. And uh in fact there was this one particular brand uh I, I guess I'm not going to mention. Um everybody I know that had this particular shoe uh and it wasn't the ultras, It was something else. Uh everybody I know that had that particular trail runner um got a got blisters on the outside of their heel. Hmm. And everybody I know this one particular model and it was a pretty popular model um but yeah you use Leukotape, tape you cover up your blisters with that and then other parts of the body um you know people would use body glide because they would get chafing yeah. um in the you know the private part area um i got poison ivy really bad twice oh twice one time to where i had to go to the doctor in fact and then i ended up having a test for Lyme disease to make sure it wasn't that but I got it uh, in Pennsylvania. I think on my leg, really bad. And then I was in Virginia on the back of my arm, from my elbow clear up to my armpit, on the back of my arm, uh, and it actually spread onto my body as well. And uh, yeah, I ended up having to, to go to the you know minor emergency place for that. So um,
0: boxers or briefs?
2: Um, what are they? called? They're like
0: boxer briefs.
2: Boxer briefs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they go down, you know, yeah. halfway down your thigh. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Those kind, Yeah, for sure. And that eliminates the chafing. I've always used those. And, uh, and I wore shorts nearly every day. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't have, I did not have pants. In fact, the only pants I had were rain pants and I never u- really used those for rain, but you use those for the wind.
0: I saw you but, hiking on in one or two videos with an umbrella. And that yes. seemed odd. Why wouldn't you just put on rain gear and hike? Why would you use an umbrella?
2: Well, I mean, it just, it really, really works well. Oh. And, uh, and I have it to where I can hook it uh, to my shoulder strap, and I don't have to use my hands on it. Oh. And I can, and I can uh, have my hands on my hiking poles, and it just keeps you way more dry. Okay. Way more dry. <laughs> and then sometimes, if it's hot, you don't want to wear your raincoat because you will get soaking wet from sweat. Right And so the umbrella will keep you dry and you won't be wet with sweat. Um, but yeah, just it keeps it just keeps the whole package much drier, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. okay, let's talk about the people. I mean, I got a sense, you know, you get little by watching your videos, there's you get little senses of it seemed like uh, several or many young couples in their twenties, a, a male and a female hiking together. Um, I, I seem to recall several times you talking to a a couple like that.
2: Oh yeah, I had a lot of that. In fact, I did the last three hundred and twenty miles with this couple, um, Panic Check and Runaway. They were from Texas. They were living in Austin, in fact, and they actually went to Trinity University where where your wife went. Mm-hmm and they did the last 320 miles with me and they were in their uh, early 30s um and they've been married for 10 years there were southbounders
0: how could they and, uh, uh take 6 months to do this and if if they're in their 30s
2: she was a teacher and she uh had enough of that okay. and then uh he you know he had a uh, government job that afforded him that opportunity
0: <laughs> you're hilarious it's true <laughs> Okay, so who... He, tech,
2: he worked for a utility, actually, that
0: afforded him that opportunity. Okay, so who else Who else is out there hiking this well, trip? Well, I met mean, you know, a lot of
2: young couples. Yes, I did meet that, and I met... Uh, I mean, a lot of retired guys are out there, and retired women. And then you'll see... Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of young people, but this year particularly, particularly early on my northbound uh, trek, there were... Lots of uh, college students taking a year off. A lot of that, like private university,
0: like uh, my kids, people, yeah,
2: yeah, for, yeah, exactly from the from the north, and uh, and I, I really really liked them a lot. Remarkably, mm. you know, they they weren't all entitled snot noses like I, I like you. <laughs> no, I mean I, I really did, and, and I was very impressed with the young people on this trip. I, I just. Um, they were more faithful than I thought, uh, they'd be, uh, they, they were more, they had more of a clue than I thought they'd be. They were very social and, uh, able to have conversations, even with an old fart like me. And, uh, I, that, that, I really appreciated and enjoyed that. Now I, I couldn't keep up with them, uh, because they would, they would do bigger miles by the end. I could, I could, you know, I was doing twenties with uh panic check and runaway at the end, but on the North part, I couldn't. And, uh, I, I just couldn't do it. And uh, so what I what I ended up with uh, several times when I ended up with people were older people, were people, you know, more my age. And uh, I had several different groups I traveled with. Um, I started with a woman who was uh, late 40s in very good shape. And she pushed me really hard. And that was just for the first week. And her name was Fresh Air. And she decided she wanted to, to move on. So that was fine. But then quickly thereafter, this was in Pennsylvania, I came with... a and we had a little trail family. We were called ourselves the Old Millers, the Old Millers from County Line Orchard. And the reason that was we were staying at a hostel, which was an old orchard uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania somewhere. And uh, the, the farmer there had taken uh, the mill uh, that he had and turned it into three apartments, two of which he had rented out. And one he had turned into a two-bedroom apartment that he used as a hostel. And so five of us actually ended up Staying there several nights, and we slack packed out of there. And uh, oh god, did a barbecue there. We just had a blast. And and that crew included uh, a woman named Rocky who'd done the trip, the trail three times, and this was her third time. And uh, she was out there paying tribute to her son who had died the previous year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way she did that, she took his ashes and hid them in root balls of trees that she was planting along the way. Indigenous oh my to the area, which was just beautiful. And then. Uh, and she was a little older than me. And then uh, a woman named, uh, she's the one, and she was a lasher, meaning that means long-ass section hiker, where she did long sections of the trail over a couple of years. Okay. And uh, she was a little older than me. And then a guy named Wicked, who was about my age, and he was a lasher also. And then a younger guy named Reset, who was in his mid-30s, and uh, he became my, my hiking partner for about three or 400 miles. We did our old Miller thing for a while, and then he and I, Kind of went on together, and he was he was fabulous. He was uh, he had graduated from Liberty with an MDiv, and as he was getting his MDiv, he realized that well, wait a minute, there's something screwy in Denmark with the theology around here, and then he started his period of deconstruction. Then, and by the time he graduated, you know, he was fully on the the emergent train, and uh, there, there's still still some of us out there, Tony. By the way. <laughs> I'm on the emergent train. there's My a couple book of sales us.
0: don't reflect that, but go on.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of us. I just gave your, your, uh, did God kill Jesus to my 40 year old niece? Fact, oh, that's nice. The other day. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so, uh, yeah, so I traveled with him. He was 33, and, and we went as far as Bear Mountain, New York. And so, you know, I had a great time. So there was a, that group and then him. And then I was by myself for a while. Then I was with Jeff and Mogul. The, the Marine and, and Mogul was 33 years sober in a 12-step anonymous fellowship, as I'm 22 years sober in an anonymous 12-step fellowship, so we were able to connect on that level. Then in Massachusetts, uh, I have a college friend who uh, is pretty well off, and he's got a place there, and I was going to stay with him one night. And I ended up spending eight nights with him, and he slack-packed me all the way through Massachusetts. Oh, wow. He stayed in his giant when, house.
0: When you're, when you're hiking with somebody or with a trail family or with a hiking partner, and you're stopping to talk to everyone going the opposite direction, are they like, dude, come on, looking at their watch, tapping their pole on the rocks, saying let's keep rolling? Yes.
2: Every, uh, yes. Oh, okay. So there was some of that, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, although, Although, like, Reset... The, the guy, the, the liberty guy, he joined me in our, the, my Chapalachian duties. Oh. He, he was the Chapalachian. I was the Chapalachian, and that was helpful. And then somewhere, she she was uh, she was very she was a little older than me, and uh, a good hiker, but she couldn't do big miles anyway. So I think she appreciated being able to stop. And she was a great ministry partner as well. She would she would uh, I'd do my Chapalachian show, and and then she would actually uh, engage in in uh, like normal adult conversation with the people.
0: <laughs> hey, when you pulled out your phone and started interviewing people, did anybody ever say, will you put that away? I don't want to be on video.
2: Yes. Yes. And so I was very mindful of that. Okay, And I would ask people beforehand generally. And um, it was only a handful of times, but there were people that did not, did not want to. And so, and I respected that. Yeah. And there were a couple of occasions wh- where I started filming and they asked me not to. And, uh, and I apologized, of course. And so there, there were some occasions of that.
0: When you stop and talk to people, are you offering them spiritual advice? Are you at offering to pray with them? Uh, are, you, are you just asking their story? Well, how how did that go?
2: you just normal conversation. Okay. and see and see where it goes from there. Yeah, and uh, very very frequently. Um, there would be a response, particularly with the older people. Usually, they were church people. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of that okay. out there, and and so they were really happy that there was a chaplain. And they'd want to talk about that, and then they'd want to pray, and then I offered to pray, and people liked to pray, and and uh, so again, yeah, you know, just normal normal conversation. I wouldn't try to steer it any particular way, and uh, whatever anybody wanted to talk about, just saying I'm the chaplain. You know or Chaachian kind of name even saying it, right <laughs> just saying that you, that usually kind of sparked some kind yeah. of conversation spiritually anyway and uh, and then there were people that a number of people that wanted and needed a chaplain and um uh, on many occasions and not not necessarily while you're out so much when you're out hiking, but when in the at the hostels particularly and in town. And, Meaning
0: and. what they needed someone to talk to about yes. issues in their lives? Yes. yes, yes. And you, of course, said, sorry, that's not my job. I'm off the clock right yeah.
2: now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's take an offering. We'll take up an offering here. Yeah, we're the church of the 20% tithe. Double the tithe, double the blessing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and so, you know, of course, I'm not going to talk about any of those No, things, right, so, yeah. right. But what probably initiated... Uh, more conversations than anything was uh, a patch that I wore. I had two patches. One said Appalachian Trail Chaplaincy. And a couple of people mentioned that. These were on my phone case that was on my shoulder strap. And the other one said, I am a friend of Bill W. And what that means to anybody in recovery, Bill W. was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so anybody in recovery knows that then if I'm a friend of Bill W., that means I'm a person in 12-step recovery and I'm a person that they can talk to. And so... That prompted, I mean, easily dozens and dozens of conversations, if not more than a hundred. And, and I'm not sure how many, but, mo- you know, mostly with people that are actually in recovery who aren't able to go to meetings because we're out there in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then even in towns, you know, you get to town on Tuesday and the town only has one meeting and it's on Saturday, yeah. you know, or, you know, because of COVID, it's closed, you know, uh, if you're in Vermont. Um
0: can't can't you just have a meeting? Can't you organize a meeting in a hostel? And
2: so I did that on many occasions. Okay. I did it in, in shelters. I did it in hostels. I did it um, one time in this place in Vermont called the uh, the Overlook. I think it's called, and it's a cabin. You have to do this blue blaze off the trail, just up about two tenths, and you're up on top of this mountain, and it's got a observation deck on top of it. You climb up there, and you can see over the trees, and it's a 360 view, and it's beautiful. Near North Woodstock, Vermont, and uh, so there's a young guy up there with me. Then we climb down the ladder. We go inside the cabin and get to talking. And this was the day before my 22nd sobriety birthday. And for some reason, I brought that up, and he said, "Oh, that's funny. Two weeks ago, I had three years." And so we, we did a meeting right there. Oh, and then yeah, we did. He and I did a meeting right there. So
0: I'm guessing. My, I'm was, guessing my first there's- first guy I went across.
2: Yeah. Uh, first guy I ran across in recovery, a guy named. Uh, it was, there were two guys together. One was called Bender, and the other guy was called Detox. Oh. Now, now, Bender was still drinking, and uh, Detox had 36
0: years. <laughs> so well, I'm tough. guessing there might be some people out there who are out there to get away from booze.
2: Yeah, but that doesn't last too long, because wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. You know, booze isn't the problem. Booze is our medicine. Yeah. Booze is our solution. And so wherever you go, there you are, unfortunately. So I'm sure there's people that can say, oh, I quit drinking on the AT. Okay, well, good for you. Uh, Permanently? Okay, well, maybe. Yeah, all right. But, uh, you know, I don't see where that – there are people that do that. and uh, But I know several that tried and it wasn't going too good.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So why do you think there's so many people in recovery – okay, let me ask this. Is was there a higher percentage of people in recovery on the AT than in the general American population? I don't think oh, okay. so. Okay,
2: okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it seems you know they. I don't know if it's. I don't know what percentages in the population, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, could, it might be. I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really take a poll, but uh, it would seem to me that. Uh, People in recovery are more likely to uh, start pursuing their heart's desire and uh, you know are, are used to doing things that are kind of out of the ordinary. yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, you know might consider trying something okay. like that. but uh, yeah there are a lot of people though, and uh, a lot of my, my hiking partners were uh, they were very impressed uh, about how many there yeah. were. Yeah, very surprised as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How has how has it been coming off the trail the last couple of weeks?
2: A uh, challenge. I got home um let me think. two Tuesdays ago, so like two two and not quite a half weeks ago and uh Look, to be away from the news for 8 months To be out anywhere, to be out of urban slash suburban America, Mm -hmm. to be outside of the baby boomer promise, (laughs) to be away from that, is life-giving. Yeah, It's a world where there's a number of things going on. You're enveloped by truth, and it's a love fest for eight months. Egos are placed to one side for the most part because you're all on the same level here. We're just trying to get to the next water source. We're trying to get to the next privy. We're trying to get to the next shelter. We're trying to get to the next town. We're trying to climb the next mountain, you know, talk about everything's being level at the foot of the cross. Well, everything is level at the foot of Mount Katab, trust me. Hmm. And so that allows for a vulnerability amongst people that you're not gonna see out here in, you know, this quote unquote real world. Uh, people are vulnerable they're honest and loving. Well, you get to the Charlotte airport <laughs> and CNN's blaring on the television and it's striking the difference hmm. between the love of the, the world of truth and love and the world of post-truth lies and polemic. It's shockingly striking. Hmm. It's, it is. And so that, that was very difficult T- to 24 seven, a narrative and I don't care which side you're on. It's still a narrative. It's an advertising campaign that's going on for our attention 24 seven. And it, it,
0: then let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Here's a, here's a philosophical question for you. You, and this is not, I'm really, I'm not asking you this politically. Cause I know, I know where you are politically. I'm asking you this philosophically. Mm-hmm. You lived in kind of a, a an um a so an ideal of socialism for half a year. I mean, you shared life with other people, of course, you had to pay for things, but you know, like you say it was a love fest. people took care of one another, okay do you think that's possible at a grander scale with 350 million people in America? I'm not saying it would ever happen, but like philosophically, do you come back and think we need to change the way we're living? I wonder if American life could reflect more of the kind of life on the AT or is that only possible in, uh, in that, extreme, extreme environment of, of a through hike.
2: No, it's, it's happening in America now. It depends where it's happening in Gackle, South Dakota. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Basically. It's happening
2: in Damascus, Virginia. It's happening in Bland, Virginia. It's happening in, I mean, even Manchester center, Vermont, it's happening in Stratton, Maine, small towns. It's happening. You're saying in small towns. In small towns. Yes. In small towns. Because they're not 24 seven under the influence of the bullhorn. They're not, they're living their lives. Then why? Together. Okay. So
0: this is maybe why some of these people, uh, who've through hiked, move out to small towns and become shuttle drivers.
2: Yeah, exactly. And make,
0: thir- make 30 grand a year and get yeah. to hang out with hikers.
2: My friend, my friend, Jen, she, uh, was corporate America big time, you know, uh, big time in Atlanta and uh, you'll know where, you know, in Atlanta, the big company in Atlanta, you know, big job. And she couldn't take it anymore. And so she and a friend went and they got this property up in Stratton, Maine and a uh, big farmhouse. The lady was running as a hostel sort of, and uh, they turned it into the best hostel on the AT called, and it's called the Maine Roadhouse. And uh, cause she didn't want to live that way anymore. And so now she lives in Stratton, Maine. Um, running a hiker hostel. which in the winter time gets skiers as well but uh,
0: and she's happy
2: yeah. oh my god yeah oh
0: oh. so does yes. it make you want to leave move out of San Antonio one of the biggest cities in the country and and move to a small town I don't
2: know how you, I, I, of course it does of, of, of course but, but you know we'll just have to see and here's the thing: I'm the chaplain, right? Right. I'm supposedly God directed. In fact, I didn't even I didn't pick doing the AT. This it got picked for me. My sponsor called me out of the blue one day and said, "Chris, go hike the AT." The people on the East Coast need to hear good news. I said, "Oh yeah, I'll get right on that." Click. Then <laughs> a month later, I'm looking at Facebook and it says Appalachian Trail Chaplaincy seeking through hiking chaplain for 2021. You know, apply here. I said, "Oh my God!" And so then I look at the application. First thing on there says. Applicant will have familiarity with recovery ministry, which I've been doing for 22 years. I, oh, jeez! So I had to apply, and they made a mistake and picked me. So I didn't even pick doing this. I, I did not. And uh, so now, how do I move forward from here? You know, I'm going to have to have very clear direction from a source outside myself. Okay. And uh, so, Tony, what am what am I supposed to do? <laughs> A power greater than myself, Tony. What, what is well, come it? come up what here I and do? visit
0: me and uh, to visit Courtney and me is one thing you have to do. I'm giving you a word from above on that deal.
2: When I told you this too on the trip, and this is one thing that really struck me out there is that um, <clears throat> you're talking about what it's like coming back. Well, here, here's a couple things about coming back. One, the whole polemic and all that was overwhelming. But what I decided when I came back is that I was going to get right in the middle of my anonymous 12-step fellowship and just sit there and not try to be in charge. I was just going to be one Because you've been in charge
0: a long time.
2: And, yes. There I found exactly what I was looking for on, on the trail. And here's why I know it can exist in the rest of the country. Because there, in the middle of those meetings, it's full of truth and it's a love fest. And that's no BS. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's in 12-step fellowships knows it. And not every meeting, but, but it is. Because, again, everybody's equal, right? One drink and we're all drunk, you yeah. know? It, it's everybody's equal. And so, I mean, it was petty rivalries and jealousies are laughed out of countenance, it says in the big book. And it's true. Um, you know, it's Yale or jail, equal opportunity destroyer. And so, that allows for people to be uh, truthful and in love. And it's great. So that's one thing. The other thing I decided, and, and, and that's really been give, life-giving since I got back. Now, the second thing is this. Out there, I decided that no more B-minuses. You know, and I've heard, You know, I'm a big Rob Bell guy. I'm a Rob Bell fanboy. And uh, I've been out to so I've see heard, him. And, you know. yeah, I've been out there to see him in California a number of times. And, and he talks about this. Let's not do B-minus in life anymore. It's too short. Life is too short for B-minuses. Yeah. Well, let's do A plus. And I thought about that. And I want A plus in relationships. I want A plus in conversations. I want A plus in how I'm spending my time. And sure, you got to take the good with the bad. And I get it, but that's what I'm really focused on. And so for one reason or another, I've, you know, kind of left behind some of my A plus relationships in town here. And, uh, I decided to reengage huh. them. And so I called these people and I told them and, uh, that, you know, here, what part I have in this is about me kind of backing off. I'm sorry. I apologize, but here's what I want. And, uh, that's already paid dividends okay. already, already paid.
0: Dividends. What, um, what grade would you give this conversation so far?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> you're an A plus. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scattered here today, but, uh, um, yeah. An A okay.
0: Finally, this, um, how did it change you? The main way I've been
2: changed is this, is that, um, I'm really leaning into these A+ relationships, and uh, I don't have time for anything other than that. I don't have time for nonsensical conversations. I don't care who's wearing a mask. I don't care who's any of that, right? I, I don't care. I, I'm not going to be engaged in those conversations. I, there, I have a, There's a circle of concern and a circle of influence. My circle of influence is way smaller than my former circle of concern. So I'm trying to get my circle of concern smaller and down to my circle of influence for sure. So that that's one way out here, out there. I couldn't have made it without um, certain friends that uh, weren't out there. You know, it started in the North with some college friends who I stayed with at various points um, and visited with my two Pete friends, Pete M and, other PM, my friend, Loretta, uh, my friend, Greg, uh, up in Massachusetts. These are all college people that helped me along the way uh, physically and emotionally. Um, There were several occasions where I really lost it. um, After I lost like my trail family, for instance, in Vermont, it was, it was mud up to my knees and uh, my whole trail family kept going North on the long trail and I lost all them. I'm by myself in a hotel and uh, I, I just lost it. And so 12-step uh, recovery friends from home uh, bailed me out of that. When I went south and got to Virginia and I had lost everybody and I'm by myself and all my friends that I was with going north were gone and here I am uh, knowing nobody and, uh, and really missing my friends that I went north with. Uh, that's where you and Courtney particularly came in and, and the whole rest of the way, uh, really helped me a lot. Courtney, Courtney would draw a, a, a card for me every day, a spiritual card, and and take a picture of it and send it to me, uh, along with an explanation about it. And then we would have conversation, spiritual conversation, based on that every single day. And that every morning, that kept me going. Then I had a friend who I didn't even know before the trip started. Uh, he was a we had a mutual friend who hooked us up. He started watching my YouTube's and we started communicating via text. He came up at my low point when I was in Glasgow, Virginia and stayed a week with me. And then for the rest of the trip, the next month and a half or two months, his name's Uh-Oh, he would come and hike with me for, for times. And then sometimes we would go back to his house in the mountains of North Carolina. And, uh, in fact, that's where we were on Christmas. In fact, I was with him when I found out my father died, um, on December 23rd. So I was with him in panic check in Runaway, uh, there in Franklin, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, getting ready for Christmas. And, uh, so that was, you know, very important and critical. Um, and so I'm going to lean into those relationships, uh, continually and big time. So that, that was one way I changed. The second way I changed fresh air taught me this early on. We humans are capable of much more than we realize much more. And, uh, so physically I was mentally, I was emotionally, I was, uh, capable of, of much, much more. And, uh, also, what I discovered about myself is that I am 100% designed to be the Chapalachian. All right. Cause I love the hiking thing for one thing, but I also personally, <clears throat> I've, I've got a breadth of, I can speak Chris, Christianese of every language. I mean, I, I can go from Rokishan, the, you know, Pentecostal, you know, clear to Roman Catholic. I can speak yeah. Neo-Calvinist to Calvinist. I can speak. <laughs> non-denominational megachurch. I can speak ladies Bible study. I can speak mainline denomination. I, I can speak new age. I can speak UCC. You know, I can speak Jesus seminar. I can speak contemplative. And so that comes in important. Uh, and I can even speak a little Buddhist. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that I, any way forward for us, I think in terms of uh, culture, in terms of religion, in terms of society, I think is going to be based. It's going to need some sort of spiritual component that binds everybody. It doesn't divide everybody. And so we need people that can speak all these languages and be okay with it all. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that, that's, and I, and I can do that. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so, I, you know, I'm going to be bold about that. I already am. You know, I mean, recovery. We yeah, you're too, pretty so. bold
0: about that. The, the, I guess the question is, is there a market for that? You know, I agree that's what's needed.
2: Well, fortunately, I don't need a but market. But
0: you know what I'm saying? Like, do people, uh, obviously, yes, people in recovery uh, respond to that aspect of you. Because people come into recovery from every one of those f- versions of Christianity that you just mentioned.
2: Or other religions or, or nothing. Right. Yeah, a lot
0: of nothing. Yeah, too. and a lot yeah. of nothing for sure. So that comes in handy in that space for you. Yeah. I, I'm, I I just wish, I agree with you. I just, I mean, I've had a similar experience my own. I've had a similar experience myself, you know, recently where I wasn't denominational enough for a church. That wanted they're going to end up picking somebody who's got their head deeply up a denomination's ass. I mean that's, and I chose long ago not to be that guy, um, but there are costs to that too.
2: Yeah, I'll say, you know, yeah. I'll yeah.
0: Say well, you know, and I, I'm part
2: of one now. You know, I mean, I'm yes. a, I'm, geez, I'm an associate pastor at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, and uh, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's a place where. Fortunately, and, and the reason I am at that place is that everybody's there is like me, you know, and can speak all these languages. And it's OK with that. You know, we're, we're not just showing the John Wesley flag all the time, yeah. although, you know, we like the Wesley flag. But, it, you know, it's not all about that. It, it, it's not all about that at all. And so uh, I'm glad to be able to be a part of something where we ask questions. We don't just have answers. And, um, you know, which is really terrific. Um, but you're right. What's the market for that? You know. I think what we're finding uh, right now is there's not a huge market for that.
0: Yeah, uh, there's not.
2: People love their certitude, don't they? And uh, Yeah, they love like- their
0: certitude, but also more and more people just want nothing to do with it. I mean, that's obviously the growing segment of our society. Now, I don't think that, you know, I may think that the church is dying, but I, I sure as heck don't think 12-step recovery programs are going anywhere. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That that's a growth right. industry, unfortunately. Yes, it is. Yeah.
2: yeah, it is. You know, and so how do we how do we take the spiritual, not religious, people and ideas, and then root them to scholarship, uh, scripture, and tradition? I don't know. You know, that's or do we even really need to? I don't know. I, I think we do. Um, I think we do. I'm all Richard Rohr now too. Oh uh, yeah, that's the only way. Forward. The only way forward is contemplative. Let's We've thought too much. Let's stop. I thinking.
0: mean, it's a great way forward. It's just, again, it's going to be a great way forward for people like you and me and, and the A-plus people we love. It's just never going to capture the imagination of 200 million Americans. It's just no, not.
2: It's a, or, well, you have to have done a deconstructive journey to get yeah.
0: there.
2: You, you have to have done a lot of internal work as well to get yeah. there. Um, Bill Wilson talked about it. He said prayer and meditation along with personal inventory. they're, they're both That's both powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we do in the steps. You know, step four, take a, you know, a moral inventory of ourselves. Step 11, saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. He talks about those taken alone are powerful. Man, you put those things together. Wow. Yeah you know, then you really got something, but that's the thing, you know, most people haven't done the personal inventory work first, right. You know, and so, you know, if you're doing your mindfulness meditation on your yoga mat uh, and you're still full of resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear, uh, it's not much of a way forward. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have a process to deal with that. So uh, yeah, I don't know what else
0: to say about that. Well, I mean, it's, I'd love to have you back on six months or 12 months from now, because I know from my own personal experiences of having intense personal experience and then coming back and trying to kind of like matriculate back into my life. It's just, it's like whiplash it's head snapping. It's, it's not fun. It's very difficult. Um, and so as time passes, you know, you're you're gonna I'm sure well, you you're gonna be fighting you're gonna be fighting the inertia of normalcy. That, that's just that that gravitational pull of your old life just pulling you back in. That's tough, man.
2: There's books about this. I, I have in my hand here Appalachian tri- Trials by Zach Davis, a psychological and emotional guide to successfully through hiking the Appalachian Trail. Talks about the trip, do, you know, before the trail, doing the trail, and then after the yeah, trail. Yeah, yeah, Post-trail depression is a real thing. It's a real thing. And then there's a book, another one here I have by Alexander Shaya, who, uh, uh-huh. Quadratos, the four gospel journey transformation, him. But he wrote a book returning from Camino. He's led many trips right. in Camino. And so I'm reading these now. And uh, I'm hoping that that will be helpful. But here's the thing. I'm changed. I know it. All right? So how do I reintegrate? That I'm not sure, except for these things. A, be right in the middle of 12-step recovery where I'm surrounded by love and truth. Secondly, be grateful and affirming to everybody. Grateful and affirming. Um, And then third, just continue to take it one day at a time, one moment at a time. Oh, uh, that's that's what I can do. So, but where it goes from here, I don't know. You know, am I going to run out and go? You know, open a hiker hostel in in Massachusetts tomorrow? Uh, No, probably not. Am I going to stay connected to that trail somehow, some way? Yes. And uh, what that looks like, I don't know. My friend, uh oh, he's planning on doing the rest of the trail this year. I can go hike with him some. I can I can uh, trail angel him. I can shuttle him. Mm-hmm. So I can do that. Got another friend who needs to do 130 miles in Maine. I can go up there. I have several offers already to uh, <clears throat> to go to hostels to help out. A couple of hostel owners would really love me to be there oh. um, for a while. So I have I, I have offers to okay. do that, but, but you know, but we'll see. And so you know, we'll see. Now, my wife has been a saint in this whole thing. Talk about trail angel! My God, you know, here she was holding down the fort for eight months, sending me resupply boxes just. Wonderful, you know, going to the, to the drugstore to pick up my prescriptions, sending me stuff. She handled the money for the business, mm-hmm. which was great. And so, I mean, she just, she did really, really, really wonderful. Now, she's not a hiker, right? Yeah. And she's not an outdoors yeah. woman. And so it's going to be hard to integrate her into that world. But, uh, you know, we'll just find another world that she and I will be integrated with together. And, uh, you know, so that's part of the challenge right now, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep, that is always part of the challenge when you're married. Yeah,
2: going on spring break for eight months. It's kind of hard to come back. And living in a – spring break, living in a fraternity house. Right, right. For the last three months of it, from Harpers Ferry to Springer, was 90 days. Okay, did it in three months. Uh I only slept out six times. The rest of the time I stayed in hostels, hotels, or people's houses. And so, I mean, it was a new social environment like nearly every couple days. right. And just fabulous. It got to be normative. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, then to come back home, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thanks, man. Thanks for your time. And and uh, I'm sure this conversation will be f- fascinating for a lot of people. And I mean, what do you think? To, what, what do you think to some 60-year-old out there listening, thinking, Kyle, oh, I just need to. Pull the ripcord and do something different. Like you know, I who I've I've only got ten or twenty years left on this planet, and I'm just doing the same grind. What what word do you have for them?
2: Pray first, pray first, and then don't think you can't do this. Boy, there's a lot of negatives in there. Don't do not think that you cannot do this. Mm-hmm. You can do this. I was. 50 pounds overweight, <clears throat> a recovering alcoholic, cigarette smoker, compulsive overeater. I did it. I, I 2,193.1 miles. Only like 20 or 25% of the people that try this make it.
0: Oh.
2: I was one of them. So you can be one of them. And think about this. Think about this. You're never going to win an Olympic medal, okay? I was never going to win an Olympic medal. About 20 or 21,000 people have completed the Appalachian Trail. About 20 or 21,000 people have won Olympic medals huh. in history. Wow. Think about that. That motivated me. That motivated me, That's good. That motivated That's good. me to, to, to think about that. I always wanted to be the guy that lit the torch. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, the, or, yeah, but that ain't going to happen. But you can do this, and you can do it. And there's all kinds of resources about how to find out to do it. You can watch YouTube's. Of how people did it you can do this and you will be very happy and every the world will still be here when you come back